All right. You can have a seat. Good morning, everybody. Hey, let's give God praise for our worship team one more time. Good stuff. Absolutely. Now, there are some funky sounds coming out of that piano back there. I think I heard the Mario Brothers theme song in there somewhere in a, in a worship song. That's, that's awesome. Well, hey, uh, it is good to see you. Uh, those of you that are up front, those of you that are back there, we love new people at Hope. We love it uh, when the church gathers together and praise God for a full house today. Whether this is your first time or your 100th time, we love that you're here and you are a part of our family. Even if we're, there's not physical space uh, for you, there is always space for you uh, in our church family. We love it that you're here. It is no accident that every single one of you are here. And God is doing amazing things around here as we've already uh, heard. It's been a busy week uh, when you came in this morning. Maybe when you were walking uh, into your chair, you uh, stepped on some uh, grains of, of rice or soy or something like that. And that is because uh, we just got done with this major meal packaging uh, event that we did here on Thursday uh, and Friday. So a lot of you were here. Over 160 uh, volunteers were here uh, over two days uh, to package meals for people that are, yeah, praise God for that. Absolutely. Um, for people that are hungry uh, all over the world, you gave your time to serve uh, in that way. And in just six hours of packaging, you packaged over 50,000 meals uh, for those in need. So you can clap again if you want for that. That's awesome. Um, so much fun. One of the highlights of that for me is we do a program on Thursday nights called uh, Whiz Kids for neighborhood kids that come from really difficult backgrounds or uh, most of them don't have a father in the home. And so it's a really difficult situation financially or with food or different things like that. So here's these kids coming in that we normally feed that, that don't have a lot and we give them winter clothes uh, in the winter and make sure that they have shoes on their feet and different things like that. And the most excited packagers at that event were those whiz kids themselves packaging food for the kids that they see on these banners around the world that probably have far less than they do. And that was just like, for me, that was a, uh, another reason why Jesus lifts up kids as models of the kingdom. A, a picture of childlike faith of saying, I know I don't have a lot, but that's not going to stop me from serving. And so you think about excuses that we make for being the church and for not getting involved and for stepping outside of our comfort zones and serving. To watch those kids be the church was inspiring to me and hopefully to all of us. So thank you for being the church. Thank you for stepping up. And it just seems so right that we were fighting world hunger in the same place that we stand and we sing all these songs every single week to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to put words, uh, to put actions to the words that we sing and pray every single week. So thank you for being an awesome church uh, in that sense. So that was just the beginning of the week. It's been a busy week uh, around here. Sometimes we forget, uh, maybe you forget that uh, Monday through Thursday, four days a week, we have 60 uh, preschoolers at our Hope Des Moines uh, downtown preschool running around here uh, as well. Not to mention our Hope Kids that's going on right now, our Power Life and Ignition uh, student ministry, junior high and high school going on. Those Power Life students are working on their faith statements uh, for our first ever Confirmation Sunday coming up here in a few weeks. We're excited uh, about that. And then on Wednesday night, we had this amazing class uh, called a First Communion class where kids, uh, usually somewhere in their elementary years, are learning the basics of Jesus' sacrifice and uh, learning a little bit more about taking communion for the first time. And so we have some of them here today. So could you stand? Really, you can stand with your families too, so you're not alone. Yeah, all of you can just stand right up. That's right. These are our First Communion kids today, so let's give God praise for them. Absolutely. Awesome. 
Thank you guys. You can have a seat. And I want to tell you something today that God loves you so much. And he is so excited that you are here today. And you are always welcome at his table. God's grace is always enough for you. And you will always be his kids. Because all the rest of us, we're just a bunch of grown-up kids. So we're all with you here today. And we are so excited for you to experience communion for the very first time. And we're so glad that you're here with your families as well. So there's so much to be thankful for going around. But we've got some stuff to talk about today. So you ready to hop in? Let's do it. John chapter 14, if you've got your Bibles, uh, we are continuing our sermon series today on the six I am statements of Jesus as he reveals his identity to us as we've been going here through the season of Lent. And today, Jesus makes this outrageous claim that you've probably heard before, but we're going to unpack that a little bit more today. Jesus says, I am the way. Everybody say the way. He says, I am the truth. Say the truth. And he says, I am the life. Say the life. And that's where we're going to go today. Jesus makes this statement, says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. In other words, I know where I'm going. I know what I'm doing, and I know where I am going. And the question that I want to post to you this morning is, do you? Do you know how to get from where you are to where you are going, to get to where you are going in your life? It makes me think uh, of about a couple months ago, uh, during the month uh, of February, about the middle of February, do you remember when it was like randomly 75 degrees for like three or four days, and we just kind of got teased with summer a little bit? Well, we decided to take advantage of that uh, as a family, and so Tiffany and I grabbed uh, our, our, our two kids, our young kids, and we said, we are going to go to the Omaha Zoo, because they love kids, and they love the, the Blank Park Zoo here in Des Moines, so we're going to go to Omaha, we're going to take a little trip, and we are going to stay in a hotel. And so we are telling our now four-year-old, uh, Caleb, as this past weekend, uh, Caleb, we are going to go to a new zoo in Omaha. And he goes, okay, because in his four-year-old mind, Omaha could be like a five-minute car ride to the other side of town, or it could be he could be in the car for the rest of his life. Like, Omaha could be going to the moon. He has no idea. So we are literally about 3.5 minutes into our trip to Omaha, okay? And we are pulling on the interstate. We have two hours to go, and three minutes into the car ride, we hear that inevitable question from the back seat, right? Daddy, are we there yet, right? So you know how this goes, right? Now, we have been prepping him the entire week. We are going to Omaha. It's a brand new town. You've never been there before, and we are going to stay in a hotel. Well, what's a hotel? Well, it's kind of like a big house with lots of rooms, and they have everything that we need because he really loves our house, and he reminds us of that on a regular basis. Daddy, can we, I, I love our house. Well, thank you, Caleb. I love our house too, but we're going to a new place to stay when we're away from our house, and we're going to be fine. Mommy and Daddy know what they're doing, and it's going to have everything that you need in this house. And so we, there's like 15 minutes of silence where we're just driving along and listening to music. And all of a sudden I hear from the back, daddy, where are we going again? You know, he's just like wondering all these things. And I thought about busting out some John 14 on him and saying, Caleb, here's, what we're go here's what's going on, okay? In this big house called a hotel, there are many rooms. And I have gone online to Priceline.com to prepare a place for you in here, right? So that where I am going, you may be with me also as well. Everything is going to be okay because he just starts rattling off these questions. Daddy, will there be pillows there? Daddy, will there be blankets there? Daddy, will there be a TV? Do you think I'll be able to watch Paw Patrol there? Here's the random one. Daddy, will they have ice there? Yeah, they'll probably have ice. Yeah, Daddy, will they have cinnamon toast crunch there? Yes! 
buddy, right? I have gone online and prepared a place for you so that everything will be okay. And now looking back on it, the question behind all those questions is, Daddy, do you know the way to where we're going? Is it going to be okay? Because in his mind, visually, if you think about it, in his four-year-old mind, this is where he is at our big blue house here in Des Moines, and Omaha is over here somewhere. It could be the moon, or it could be about five minutes away, and he's asking, Daddy, do you know how to get me from here to there? Will everything be okay? And as I was thinking about his questions, they're not just four-year-old questions. I think if we're honest, every single one of us is asking those same questions. Do I know how to get from where I am to where I want to go? Because every single one of us has a here, and every single one of us has a there. It could be a hypothetical there, or it could be a real, actual destination that you want to go. But we have an image or a desire to get where we want to go in life. It could be as simple as the job I have now to the job that I really want. I know for a lot of you in our community, it's there is no job to I would take any job. For some of you, it's, uh, it's going from no relationship to finding that companionship that you long for. For others of you, it's the current state of your marriage to the vision and the dreams that you once had for what that marriage could look like. It's the current uh, behavior of your children to the desired behavior of your children to where you want to go. Maybe it's feeling alone to going to living in relationship, to community. Some of you are here and you're not experiencing the fullness of church Because God desires for you to be over here in a relationship with him and with other people. And you are so isolated today. And the desire of your heart is to know and be known, which is our theme for the year. Or it's simply that today you're over here and you are dissatisfied and you are looking for home. You're looking for that place that sense of purpose and deep satisfaction in your life. And specifically as followers of Jesus, what we are asking is, Jesus, can I trust that you're the way? Can I trust that that you're going to get me from where I am to where I want to go? Can I really trust, Jesus, that your way of doing my marriage is the best? That your way of doing my finances and my budget is the best? Jesus, can I trust that when you speak to me in your word about parenting and being a spiritual leader in my home, can I trust that you're the way for that? That when you say, make these things a priority in your life, that that is the way that's gonna get me not just to Omaha, but to the abundant life that you promise. We're all asking these questions today, so we're all in the same boat. Turn to your neighbor right now and say, we're all together. Just tell them that right now. We're all together in this, right? We're all together in this. Not just us here today, but Jesus' disciples are asking those exact same questions. So let's hop into John chapter 14, and that sets the stage today. So by the time we get to John 14, these are not just the final uh, weeks of Jesus' life. These are the final days and hours of Jesus' time on earth before The passion story begins. And so by the time we get to John 14, Jesus' disciples have been following him for three years. And they have left everything for him. They've left their jobs, they've left their, their careers, their families, all to be with him. Now, why would they do that? Because they are fully on board and are have hitched their wagon to Jesus that he is who he says he is, that he is the Messiah which means he's going to get them from where they are in their ordinary lives as fishermen or tax collectors or wherever Jesus found them. 
They are saying, Jesus, I trust that you're the way because you can get me where I want to go, which at this point in their minds is still Jesus is this earthly king, the Messiah that's going to come, he's going to kick out Rome, he's going to restore the nation of Israel, and because we are best friends, we are the 12 disciples of the king, of Jesus himself. We are going to be rich and famous and powerful and probably sit on his right and his left, and we're going to kick out Rome, and we're going to be the heroes and live happily ever after. That's what they have in their minds for their there, where they want to go. And then, in chapter 12 and chapter 13, right before this, Jesus starts saying really weird things like, you guys, I'm only going to be with you a while longer. You guys, the... The Son of Man will be handed over. And then he says, the Son of Man will suffer and die. Well, well wait a minute, Jesus, that doesn't line up with, with my agenda for what, for what I want. That, that, that's not going to help us kick out Rome. You're, you're going to leave and then come back and get us someday, but you're not going to stay? Like, what kind of a king does that? And Jesus says, I'm not that kind of a king. So you're confused, and the disciples are freaking out, and they're doubting, and they're frustrated. And into that situation, we pick up John 14, verse 1, and Jesus says this to his disciples. Let's read it together up on the screen. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Why are you still doubting, Jesus says. We have been together for three Years And if I'm Jesus in my flesh, in my humanness, I'm saying, guys, what is there to worry about? Do you remember just a couple days ago when we were at Bethany and I literally called out my friend Lazarus' name and he came walking out of his own grave? Why are you still freaking out? Do you remember before that, you guys, when I came walking out on the water and there was this giant storm and I literally told the storm to stop storming? You still don't trust me? Remember that time when that little boy brought his, his lunch? He had this little Lunchables thing from the grocery store, and he brought it, and then I blessed it, and then I made enough lunch for over 5,000 people, probably even more than that, and you still don't trust me with where I'm taking you? And yet instead of rebuking them, Jesus speaks to them with compassion. Do not let your hearts be troubled. This is a, Jesus has created a safe place for them. Instead of rebuking them, he offers them compassion. And we want you to know that because we're a church after Jesus' own heart, it's moments like this that remind us we got to be a safe place here too. That that's our deepest desire, that no matter where you are on this spectrum of whether you feel far away from Jesus today or you're walking in step with him every single day, when you come in here on Sunday mornings, bring your doubts, bring your fears, Bring your questions. We don't come to church because we have it all together. We come to church because we worship the one who has it all together. Amen? I've said it once and I'll say it again. I've said it many times and I'll say it again. We are not a museum for saints. We are a hospital for sinners. People with doubts and fears that are trying to figure out this whole Christianity thing. Just like our friend Thomas. I love Thomas and how he enters the story here. So Jesus goes on to say, in my father's house there are many rooms, and I'm going to take you there someday. And then Jesus says in verse 4, you know the way to the place where I am going. Now, 
Enter Thomas. Poor Thomas gets a bad rap for being doubting Thomas, and he always comes in. He's always kind of the skeptical one. But I really love Thomas in the story because you know in every friend group or circle that you have, there's always that one person that just says out loud what everybody else is thinking. You know what I mean? Whether it's politically correct or socially acceptable or not, they just say it. I'm just saying what everybody's thinking. That's Thomas, okay? And here's how Thomas responds to Jesus saying, you know the way to the place I'm going. And Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Except I don't think he said it like that. I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall in that setting right there. I think Thomas said, Jesus, what are you talking about? We have no clue what you're talking about. And I love the fact that Thomas feels like that Jesus has created a safe place for doubters around him. Jesus doesn't rebuke Thomas. Thomas is saying, Jesus... I'm a little worried because I don't know if you're taking me where I want to go. God, can I trust your heart for me? And it's into that moment of vulnerability that Jesus says, Hey, guys, I know I've told you that I'm the good shepherd and the light of the world and, you know, the vine and the branches and all these things, but I'm just going to give it to you straight. I am the way. I'm the way to get you where you want to go in this life. I am the truth. If you're looking for something to grab onto and base your life on that you can trust, it's me. And I am the life. The same way that I called Lazarus out of his grave, I'm the only one that can bring you from death to life. I would have loved to be there when Jesus said that. I am the way, the truth, and the life. It doesn't get any more straightforward than that. And Jesus says to you today, I want to be your way. I want to be your truth. And I want to be your life. And we've heard that before. And sometimes with familiar sayings, we need to get a fresh look at them. So I want to unpack those three things today a little bit more. First of all, Jesus says, I am the way. Not just to a better or happier life. When Jesus says, I'm the way, he's speaking of something much deeper than your agenda or whatever you want to do. He wants to help you with that. He wants to help get you where you want to go, but first he needs to get you where you need to go. And that is to be in a relationship with God. If you maybe grew up in Sunday school or you went to Bible camp, chances are you've seen this illustration before. So we have two cliffs And we have this great divide in between. And I am not going to try to draw people because that is not my gift. Uh, But you are over here and your heavenly father in his house with many rooms is over here. And the life that he promises, that abundant life, is over there. To get from here to there, we've got a problem because there is a divide. And the reason there's a divide is because at some point in all of our lives, we come face to face with reality. We don't have what it takes. We keep tripping up and falling into these things called sin. And Romans tells us that the wages of sin is death. And so here we are with the reality of sin and death, and that reality has created this divide between us and a holy God who cannot be in the presence of sin. So we got a dilemma on our hands. We can't get to the life that we want. We can't get to where we're going. We have a problem. 
This makes me think of uh, my Bible camp days up at Riverside Bible Camp. One of the ways that I would illustrate this, I draw this, I would have cabins of 8 to 10 elementary or junior high boys, and we had a giant sand volleyball court. So if you can imagine that, I'd put one cone down on that end, and then 25 feet away, I would put another cone. And I'd say, okay, guys, you see this illustration? You're down here, and God's down there, and the divide between us, the separation because of our sin, is in between. So why don't you try really, really hard to get there on your own strength? to get there on your own power. And so, you know, junior high boys, they're always up for a challenge. Like, I can totally do it, you know? And so they start running. This one guy starts from Campfire Hill, runs all the way down, right, and tries to jump, and he gets like three or four feet. It's not even close. And they're like, I can totally do it. Let me try again. I can get there. They are falling so short. And most of us, at some point in our lives, struggle with that same problem. Sometimes even as Christians, we struggle trying to jump from one side to another, and we think that Christianity is about performing. When Jesus says, I've already done the performing for you, there's no way that you can bridge that gap on your own. And Jesus says, hey guys, I'm the way. And you don't know it now, but about four or five days from now, I'm going to be crucified on an old Roman cross. And that is the only way that you can get to where you want to go and the life that you desire so much. And as you look at that illustration of one cone to another so far away or the divide that we face, most other world religions say, here's you, here's God, good luck. Good luck making it on your own. Every other religion says, earn your way, climb your way up the ladder towards God. Only Christianity did that God come to you and build a bridge and literally come to you so that you could be in a relationship with the Father. Jesus comes to us. He is the way. Jesus says, I have literally brought you from death to life. Jesus says, I have secured eternity for you. Now, can you trust me with Monday morning? Can you trust me with your job? Can you trust me with your marriage? Can you trust me with the fears that you have about the future or or where I'm calling you? Can you trust me with that big decision? I have literally saved you and rescued you. I am the one that has put breath in your lungs this morning that got you up, that is sustaining your life today, and you're worried about Monday morning at work? Sometimes I imagine when, maybe I'm the only person that struggles with this, but I don't think so. When, When God seems so far away, from where I am. I had a mentor tell me one time, when you're struggling with knowing if God is close and you're struggling with prayer, just put your chair wherever you're sitting and then set up a stool or chair next to you and just pretend that Jesus is sitting right there in the room with you, just as he was with the disciples when they're having this conversation. And whatever it is that you're struggling with the most, that you're most fearful of today, Imagine that Jesus, the God of the universe, is sitting next to you, looking right at you, just listening with those eyes of compassion. And you pour out your heart to him, and then he looks back at you and says, my child, do not let your heart be troubled. I got you. Trust me. Put yourself in the story. And what are you feeling in that moment? Jesus isn't teaching this statement in some apologetics class in seminary. He's talking to you today. He's looking you in the eyes saying, 
whatever you got, whatever's standing between you and a fully devoted, being a fully devoted follower of Jesus, I've taken care of it. You don't have to worry. Jesus says, I am the way. But he also says, I'm the truth. I'm just going to spend a little bit of time uh, on that because there's a lot here. But what I want to tell you is when Jesus says, I'm the truth, he's saying, I'm the truth because I'm the way. Okay? Nobody else can say that they can bring you from death to life. The reality is, if God is truth, then Jesus is the perfect example to us of what God is like. In other words, if you want to know what God is like, if you want to know the truth, get to know Jesus. That's why I love in Colossians 1, he writes, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Does anybody else feel like God is kind of distant sometimes or far away, and you wonder what he's like? God, do you really care for me? Are you there for me in this struggle in my life? Look at the life and person of Jesus. Nobody loves like him. Nobody forgives like him. No, nobody picks you up when you fall down like him. Nobody serves like him. Nobody leads like him. Nobody has his grace and compassion. Nothing is more true than Jesus. And yet we give the disciples and the followers of Jesus a really hard time when it comes to uh, trusting Jesus and, and you believe the truth when it's right in front of you. But really, it's the religious folks. It's Jesus' own people, the Jews, particularly the religious leaders, many of the Pharisees, that miss the truth when it's standing right in front of them. And I don't know how I made this connection, but in some weird, my pastor mind makes this connection between the Pharisees and a character in the field of dreams. So that's where we're going to go today. Do we have any baseball fans out there? Wow, somebody upstairs, wow, two of you. Okay, last night everybody was baseball fans, so they're going to get baseball illustrations for the next 13 months uh, when the baseball season uh, is going on. One of my favorite movies of all time is Field of Dreams. And it's baseball season now, folks, so we can use this illustration. There is this scene where you kind of know the story. Uh, Kevin Costner's character, he, he's a farmer here in Iowa, and he bulldozes his farm, builds this baseball field because he hears a voice. And he trusts the voice. Does that sound familiar? He trusts the voice of the one above, and he follows it. And then he believes the truth. These baseball players start coming out of the field. And everybody can see it except Uncle Mark. Because he doesn't believe, he can't see. But because Ray and his wife and his daughter and everybody else there, they choose to believe, and so they see. But Mark, just like many of Jesus' own people, including the religious leaders, can't see the truth that these players are right in front of them. Let's take a look at this first clip. When you see the truth that is right in front of you, you hold on to it no matter what it takes. And here's the amazing thing. Mark is a perfect representation of somebody that when the truth is right in front of them, they can't grasp it. Most Jewish boys, when they would learn from rabbis, they would study the Torah. And of the many different things that they, they would call the Torah, which is the first five books, we know as the first five books of the Old Testament, this main book that the Jewish people held so highly. And because of that, they would often call the Torah the way. Sometimes they would call the Torah God's truth. Other times they would call it the path to life. So here you have all these young Jewish boys, including the rabbis that are teaching them, believing for thousands of years 
that the Torah, which points to the Messiah, is the way, the truth, and the life. And one day, this rabbi from Nazareth shows up and says, you know all those stories you've been reading? I'm the way. I'm the truth. And I'm the life. There's a game going on. Jesus says to you today, and he says, I don't want you to miss it. The truth is standing right in front of you. And I know we live in a world and we live in a culture where it's sort of, I don't know, cool to keep an open mind. And it, because truth is all relative anyway. And, you know, a lot of people say, I don't want to say that there's an absolute truth, that there's, there's one truth, because then all of a sudden I'm hypocritical or I'm judgmental and I'm, and I'm closed-minded and I don't want to be closed-minded, so I'm just going to keep an open mind. And Jesus says, you know, the reason you keep an open mind is to fill it with something when you see it, and Jesus says, you're not going to get a better offer. So many people say, I just want to keep an open mind in case something better comes up. Jesus says, this is it. There's nothing better than me, and there's nothing more beautiful than my church. There's nothing that should be a greater priority in your life. I am the life, Jesus says. Which kind of lands us at Jesus' final word, I am the life. The thing that we often miss when Jesus makes these I am statements is if he really is the light of the world, if he really is the resurrection and the life, if he really is the way, the truth, and the life, you can't go halfway with Jesus. I love what uh, great Christian author and philosopher C.S. Lewis writes. He says, Christianity, when it comes down to it, you can dismiss Jesus as a heretic. You can throw him out as a liar. But there's one thing that Jesus can't be, and that is moderately important. He either is who he says he is, or he's not. And if he is, which we know him to be the way, the truth, the life, you can't go halfway with Christianity with Jesus. When Jesus says, I am the life, he's saying, I want to be your everything. Does anybody remember? I don't know if this was like late 80s or early 90s. Do you remember? Go ahead and go to the next slide. Do you remember when these shirts came out? There was a whole line. Does anybody remember this, or is it just me? Okay, I wasn't living in dream world. Baseball is life. Soccer is life. Fishing is life. Whatever is life. Laying on my couch is life, right? They even made them for sports teams. It was Cyclones or, or Iowa State Cyclones are life. Like, that's heresy. But the Hawkeyes are life. You know, Iowa Hawkeyes are life, which is a little closer to absolute truth. But you could get any... You could get any t-shirt that you wanted, and the idea was, whatever I'm putting on my shirt, this is my priority in life. Baseball is life, so I'm going to build everything in my life around baseball. Running, or exercise, or getting my kids involved in all these activities is life, or working 70 hours a week is life, or whatever you would put on your t-shirt today. And the idea is, that's where I find my value, my purpose, my identification. Everything that I talk about when I lay in bed and think at night, I'm always thinking about it. Jesus says, I am the life. I want to be your life. Our deepest desire for you as a part of this church is that Jesus would be on your lips. That he would be the one in your hearts. That he would be the one that you can't, oh, I love to talk about the NCAA tournament. I love to talk about the Hawkeyes. But I love to tell people about Jesus. He's, he's my life. Jesus is life. The rest is just details. And that is our number one value of our five values that we have as a church. Jesus is life. The rest is just details. Because I believe it. And you either do or you don't. Jesus is life. The rest is just details. Of all the things that you could focus on, don't miss the things that are eternal. Our greatest fear 
in our life should not be a failure. It should be in succeeding in those things that don't really matter. The things that won't last. And that's what Kevin Costner's character, Ray, discovers at the end of this movie, as you know. When Jesus says, I am the life, he's speaking now and forever. So live your life for things that matter. And the whole movie, see, you think it's a baseball movie. I think it's about a movie about getting from where Ray is to fill that void. And he doesn't know it, and we don't always realize it at first. Everything we try to call that void, I need a different job, I, 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 I need a divorce, I got to get out of this marriage, uh, I, I, I need a companion uh, in this life, maybe I just need a different small group or a different church, I, I just got to fill this need somehow. All of that is a craving for a father to be in a relationship with the God that created you. And Ray doesn't realize that, but the entire movie of Field of Dreams is about his endless search for that connection and that intimacy with his dad. And if you think about it, think about the plot of the movie this way. He hears the voice that shows him the way on all his travels of where to go. It shows him the way. And because he believes the truth, the, the players that are right in front of him, he discovers at the end in this final clip the life he's been looking for, which is, he describes heaven on earth. The eternal life that Jesus offers that starts now, all for the purpose of being reconnected with his father. As you watch this last clip, I want to challenge you to ask yourself, why is that so powerful and why do I long for that so much? Let's take a look. It never gets old because I think deep down inside that's what all of us long for. Like when it really comes down to it, are you completely satisfied with your relationship with God today? And if not, he wants to remind you that 2,000 years ago he sent his son Jesus in flesh to look you in the eyes to say, let's have a catch. I wanna, I wanna know you, I wanna walk with you through this life. I wanna be in relationship with you so that you can experience that intimacy that you were created for. Jesus says, I wanna be your way. I wanna be your truth. I wanna be your life today. When he looks back up at the house and sees his wife and his child, do you know what he's realizing? Life is about relationships. And most importantly, the relationship with that guy that's standing right in front of him. And today, Jesus is standing right in front of you, saying, let's not do halfway Christianity. Let's not play church. Let's be in a relationship together. You know you want it. You know there's something more, and you long for it. And Jesus offers that to you today as the way, the truth, and the life. Let's stand and prepare our hearts for communion.